So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1394, what the heck is going on with this job market? And more of your employment questions answered with Berkeley economist, Jesse Rothstein. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Employers are not generally in the habit of giving out raises just because they feel like it. They give out raises because they think they need to in order to, to attract and retain workers. Right. And so, so competitive, right. Exactly. And in a labor market where there are lots of jobs out there, employers are not going to enjoy it, but they're going to have to give raises to keep their workers. And if they're making profits, if the if the demand for their products is strong, they'll be able to make those, they'll be able to give those raises out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as long as we can keep the labor market kind of strong, I think that's the situ- circumstances in which we'll see wages. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. If you're like me and you're looking at the latest jobs number, which shows a 3.5% unemployment rate, an actual dip from the previous months, and more than 500,000 jobs added to the economy in a single month, all while there is runaway inflation, rising interest rates, two back-to-back quarters of negative GDP, it is a little perplexing why the job market has remained so strong. I just wrote a piece on this for CNET. I'll put the link in the show notes called Why is the Job Market So Strong? And more employment questions we can't help but wonder. It's all part of our recession help desk at CNET where we are covering smart money moves in an uncertain economy. So yes, if you have been paying attention, the job market is holding up with a 3.5% unemployment rate, but it's uncertain how long that will last in a cooling economy to help us better understand what is actually going on and maybe even give some predictions as to where the employment landscape is headed in the next six months. Should you ask for a raise? If you quit your job today, will there be one waiting for you? I've invited University of California, Berkeley, Professor of Public Policy and Economics, Jesse Rothstein. He has many answers. We even talk about, does he agree with the Fed's policy? Are all these layoffs that we're hearing about normal or not? And where will wages go? Here's Jesse Rothstein. Jesse Rothstein, welcome to So Money. Thank you. You are the Chancellor's Professor of Public Policy and Economics at the University of California, Berkeley. Really excited for this deep dive into the state of employment, your forecast for where jobs are headed this year, and how the market might fare in this, I don't know, can we call it a recession? But first, let's learn a little bit about your role at Berkeley and and where in the economy you're focusing your attention these days. Sure. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation also. So I'm a, I'm a labor economist, and so I've done a lot of studying the, uh, the job market. I've done work on unemployment insurance and on the very slow recovery from the Great Recession. And so it's been really nice to see in the last few years, before right, the last couple of years right before the pandemic, that we finally, after almost 10 years, had a tight labor market. And we're really starting to see that People who wanted jobs can find them, that that there was some pressure to kind of raise wages for workers. And we were we were finally getting to what you might call full employment. Mm-hmm. Then the pandemic hit and threw everything awry. And uh it's 
everything has been more confusing since then because it's it was such a big shock that it's hard to interpret what we've got or what's going on. But it sure looks like in the last six months or so, we've gotten to a situation where where we did a good job of supporting consumer demand and supporting uh, firm investment. Consumers wanted to buy things, firms wanted to invest, and they maybe wanted to do more than the economy could support, that we couldn't produce all of the goods and services that people wanted to buy. And that's what can create inflation. We're now in a situation where it looks like things are overheating. I wasn't that worried about employers saying they couldn't find workers. You know, that's obviously a problem, but that's going to be transitory. And there's a natural way to solve that problem if you're an employer, which is you can raise wages. And if the demand is really that strong, then you can get away with doing that. But when they, that you add all of that up, that that leads to inflation, and so we, we've kind of overshot. And what we need from the Fed is to really, very precisely, bring us back down to full employment, but not over full employment. And that's what we're hoping they can do. But their tools are not that precise, mm-hmm. and so we're asking them to steer a you know a super tanker into a, a boat slip that just exactly fits it, and let's hope they can get that exactly right. Yeah. And, and, you know, while the focus of this conversation is the labor market, the job market, we can't help but get into things like inflation and the Fed because it's all intertwined. And later, I want to ask you a little bit more about your thoughts on Fed policy. And, yeah. uh, you know, at CNET Money, we're really curious about just like, OK, well, what are the other levers we can pull? Because it seems like the Fed can, help, you know, can do so much as addressing um the demand side of the problem, but the supply, you know, these bottlenecks, these supply issues that are caused by things like wars and COVID are not something that the Fed can control. And so we'll get to some of that in a second. But focusing on your expertise, which is the labor market, you brought up the unemployment rate, people calling it one of the few relative bright spots in the economy. But what is your actual read on that monthly employment report? Because there's more than just an unemployment rate that gets disclosed in payrolls. It's also, you know, wage growth and other indicators. What are you more concerned about? I think the report has been looking really good lately. We've been seeing lots of jobs added every month. And I'm hoping that things have started to stabilize and we're kind of leveling off. But we still want to keep adding jobs. There are still people who haven't been pulled back in after the COVID crisis. So I think I'm pretty happy with that. But the main thing I'm looking at these days is job growth, uh, wage growth. Our wages starting to rise to catch up with inflation. Uh, They haven't been the last few months. I think that's we're probably in a situation where it's just too soon to tell because even if employers, workers do have the bargaining power to demand wages that keep up with inflation, there's often going to be a lag between between when the inflation occurs and when when the rate raises show up. You know, yeah, universities they typically get raises once a year, and so some companies don't give raises. Right. And well, some companies don't. In the last ten years, companies didn't didn't give raises. Hopefully, now they do. This is this is what a tight market does. Unemployment rate, though, it doesn't take into account those who have stopped actively looking for work, freelancers, independent contractors who may be suffering but aren't eligible for unemployment insurance. Then there are those who are underemployed, um, part-time workers. So how do we really get a sense of unemployment? There's always a little bit of, of wiggle room. There's all, you know, no single measure is perfect. Our standard unemployment rate, as you say, doesn't take into account people who've, who've given up looking or people who are underemployed, who would like more hours, for example, but haven't been able to get them. The issue of people not being eligible for unemployment insurance is a little bit of a separate issue. Mm-hmm. If somebody is not eligible for unemployment insurance, but they want a job and are looking, we count them as unemployed. But there are, we, we have other measures that try to capture some of this, and all of them look pretty tight right now. 
my read is that most people who want a job right now have, have been able to find them, not always right away, but but fairly soon. But there's also a group of people who are not really ready to go back after COVID, um, whether for kind of personal health reasons or COVID cautiousness or their mm-hmm. their child's daycare still isn't reliable enough that they can go back to work or something like that. I, I do think there are probably some people who are still left on the sidelines. But it doesn't look these days like all that many of them are discouraged workers who can't find work. It's more that for one reason or another, they don't want to work. Mm-hmm. But you brought up wage growth, which I think is so important. It's up 5% year over year wages on average, inflation up nine over 9%. What are your forecasts for wage growth, especially if the Fed continues to raise rates, which they say they will, and ultimately that's going to have an increasing effect on corporate growth, their capacity to be able to hire and give raises? So where do you, what's your gut saying about where wage growth is going to go in the next six months? What, and how do you determine that? So I avoid hard predictions. And I, the nice thing about being an academic is I don't have to make them that often. Uh, we don't know. It's a really uncertain time. My guesstimate is that wages have some momentum and that there is still, workers still do have a fair amount of bargaining power and they're still kind of past inflation that they're kind of bargaining to catch up again. And so I expect that wages will continue to rise, even if inflation starts to fall some. But I don't know how long that will last. And it really depends on how successful the Fed is at bringing this ocean liner. You've been looking at the economy for a while now. I mean, in terms of the Fed's approach, do you think that it's the right approach? Do you think they should be taking a more severe stance? I mean, 75 basis points twice in a row is pretty big. Uh, it's pretty un- unprecedented in some ways, but some would say it's not enough. But what, where do you where do you fall on that? It's a hard, they're facing a really, really hard problem. You know, it's very hard to kind of engineer a smooth landing in the best of times. And we've got uh, inflation that's a combination of kind of excess demand here and fairly temporary supply shocks elsewhere. It's really challenging. To the extent that the that the supply shocks elsewhere from from the war in Ukraine or from COVID in China are going to ease in the next few months, you don't really want to be dialing back demand here all that much. You want you want to keep demand where it was because supply will catch up to meet it. Mm-hmm. Um, my my read is that they're balancing that pretty well so far. Although you know we can all reserve the right to criticize them for having gotten it wrong if if it turns out they did. But I don't see I don't see the it being obvious that they're doing a they're going too far one way or the other right now. Can you have a recession if the job market is where it's at? Uh, you know, there's a debate right now even about whether or not we're in a recession. You know, I'm not the dictionary police, but um, I, I just think that it's so unprecedented, or is it? I don't know to have a, what is seemingly a healthy employment market and inflation where it's at, the Fed's continuing to raise rates all seemingly to no avail. Um, and we've had now two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. So w- what do you think? Is that even possible? So a recession is whatever the recession dating committee says it is. So it's it's theoretically possible. Right. <laughs> I think this is mostly a semantic argument. I don't think yeah. I don't think this is a really important argument. The, the economy is is humming along quite strongly right now. You know, we expected that coming out of COVID, there would be hiccups and kind of fits and starts. And so GDP is going to overshoot some quarters and come back down a little bit at other quarters. And as long as we kind of maintain a strong overall trend, I'm not going to be too worried about that. You know, whatever the recession dating committee ultimately decides, I think if it just ends up being two quarters of very small negative growth and then we get back on 
kind of a growing trend, I don't think anybody will think of this as a recession in, in the way we usually use the term. So what I'm hearing is some optimism. Is that your typical stance on the economy that you tend to be on leaning more optimistic or, or positive leaning? No, I tend. I've been. I was screaming and yelling for ten years about why wasn't the labor market? Why weren't we doing more to to improve things after the Great Recession? Mm-hmm. But I think things are doing pretty well right now. I think you know there are worse places to be than overshooting a little bit. Um, and I'm I'd rather overshoot than undershoot and have a have a jobless recovery that goes on for years and years and years. We mm-hmm. avoided that this time. There's a chance that we overcorrect, but I think everything thus far is consistent with kind of us managing a soft landing. Hmm. So I'm hopeful that'll happen. We are seeing layoffs though, particularly in areas like tech, e-commerce, whether you know we're talking about Shopify, crypto, forget it. Uh, but there there are layoffs uh, happening and in certain sectors more than others. Do you have any thoughts uh, on where that could be going in the next six months? And conversely, what are some of the strongest sectors that we've got facing us. There are always layoffs in the US economy. It's a big economy. There are things going on, you know, in a typical month outside of any outside of all the excitement of the last few years, something like 5 million people lose their jobs. That's a that's just normal. We're used to that. It's hard to know whether this is some this is just the normal churn or whether this is something more than that. But, you know, overall the job numbers look good and so so it makes me think that it's more like normal churn. In terms of what the areas of strength are, I think, you know, it's it's been a pretty messy period, and I think that's exactly what we would have expected after coming out of the COVID crisis. And so there are areas that are growing, and they're shrinking, and they're growing. My read is that we're mostly kind of growing back the jobs that we're missing. And so I expect we'll continue to see growth of service sector jobs as people gradually get back out into the world, and kind of we continue the kind of COVID recovery. Beyond that, I don't know. You mentioned earlier that you, or one of the things you focus on is wage growth. And yeah. what gives you the sense that employers will continue to raise wages. You, you know, you're reading about some companies that are, they're raking it in right now. Inflation has been very good for them. And they have not, and I, you know, these aren't all companies, but they exist. I mean, I'm talking about mostly like mm-hmm. the big oil companies. They're not passing on those profits to their employees in the form of increased wages. And um, I just want to, I guess, really the bigger question I have is like, who holds the power right now? The employers or the employees? Is it still like, can you negotiate in this market? Can you ask for more money? Uh, or are employers going to have to throw out the inflate, the I word, oh, inflation, we can't afford you or we can't afford to. And yet inflation has been very good for their bottom line. So, you know, employers are not generally in the habit of giving out raises just because they feel like it. They give out raises because they think they need to in order to attract and retain workers. Right. And so competitive, right. Exactly. And in a labor market where there are lots of jobs out there, employers are not going to enjoy it, but they're going to have to give raises to keep their workers. And if they're making profits, if the if their the demand for their products is strong, they'll be able to make those, they'll be able to give those raises out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as long as we can keep the labor market kind of strong, I think that's the situ- circumstances in which we'll see wages. Now, it's true that we have a bunch of institutions that have eroded that helped to promote worker bargaining power over, over the last few decades and that are in pretty poor shape. And that means workers have less bargaining power than relative to their employers than, than they might in other circumstances. And that includes things like unionization, but it also includes things like uh, 
what, what economists call monopsony of employers having a lot of market power or where there are a small number of employers for whom a worker could work and they tend they don't compete with themselves. I think there's some work in the policy side being done on trying to kind of strengthen that. And that will certainly help help workers claim a share of the pie. But ultimately, what helps workers claim a share of the pie is employers knowing that they need to pay the workers more in order to to, to keep them. Mm-hmm. Well, what other policies would you like to see implemented uh, that would further, whether it's things like wage growth or employment security or more equity in the labor market? I mean, the single most important thing I think we can do is continue to run a strong labor market and to really treat an elevated unemployment rate as a crisis that needs to be addressed, not as something we can just wait for it to get better. Mm-hmm. I think we we didn't treat it as a crisis in the between 2010 and 2016 or something like that, and I think that hurt us all. Uh, so I think if we can continue to run a hot labor market, that will that will ensure wage growth and, and ensure that workers get a share of the pie. Other policies making it making it harder for union for work for employers to bust unions. I think there are lots of cases where we're seeing employers doing things that. Sure, look illegal uh, against current law, but the the laws don't have a lot of teeth, and so they get away with it. Mm-hmm. Like shutting down stores when the workers say they're interested in unionizing. I think we can do more to to ensure that employers can't do that, and I think we can do more to ensure that employers don't have too much market power in the labor market and right. take that seriously as a as a consequence of increasing concentration, monopolies, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we economists call it monopsony when it's on the buying side rather than the selling side. But it's the same issue. If there, if you are in a particular occupation and there's only one employer in your city that you can work for, that employer has a has a fair amount of power to to set your wage below below what you're worth. Professor Rothstein, when you get together with your colleagues, fellow economists, is there a uh-huh. looming debate? Is there something that um, that you don't agree on that that's sort of like an outstanding issue? Whether it is like what we have talked about, which is the you know, the fate of the job market in the next six to 12 months as, as this recession sort of takes shape or other aspects of the labor market? So I think the two big ones right now are things that we've, we've been talking about. One is how much of the inflationary kind of spike we've seen is due to external shocks like the war in Ukraine and kind of supply side issues versus demand stimulus from from the various recovery packages that we've had. And then related to that is how aggressively should the Fed be fighting it? Mm. Where I think that the, the relation is that if we think that it's mostly temporary external supply shocks, then we shouldn't expect that it's going to continue for that long and it will go away on its own. Whereas if we think it's demand side, then there's more of an argument that that we've got to do something to temper demand to keep it from to keep to to keep the inflation from lasting. Yeah, I mean I sort of wonder about how we can contain this. Um although wars come and go and pandemics don't last forever, we do know that things like climate change are here mm-hmm. to stay. And mm-hmm. if we recall last fall when there were th- tropical storms and climate change was really ripping through the through farms and plant, I mean, that caused inflation in some areas like food and oil. So long-term, we should, don't you agree, we should be kind of looking at sort of how we can stem this from the supply side and not wait for just the Fed to finish doing its campaign, running its campaign. 
Oh, certainly we want to be trying to figure out what's stopping the supply side from recovering and trying to fix that. I think that our, Do you think we're doing you know, enough we're, though? We're not, <laughs> I feel like we're not. We're just trying to throw water on the fire right now and we're not. No one is saying, you know what? Things are bad and here are the hard things that we're going to do and they're going to take time because, of course, that doesn't win campaigns. I think you want kind of strong infrastructure, good good, uh, institutions in place, but we're never going to make our economy totally immune to natural disasters or other things that happen or, you know, man-made disasters. They happen. And what we can do is try to make sure that we recover quickly from them. You know, a hurricane wipes out a major refinery. That's going to cause gas price spikes. And I think that's inevitable. And we want to make sure that our refineries are built strong so that doesn't happen that often and then recover quickly from that. I don't know that we could have built an economy that would be entirely immune to China shutting down exports for a few weeks because they were having a COVID spike. Yeah. You know, we can, I think we're seeing some manufacturers trying to shorten their supply chains or build in a little bit more redundancy into their supply chains. But there's a reason why they made them short. Why they made them like that is because it saves money in, in the event that there's not a disaster. And so there's a trade-off. Mm. You know, I'm sure you've been seeing these headlines like, is globalization really the way to go here? Because depending on other countries for basic resources is sometimes a uh, it's good when it's good. And then, you know, it can be such a disaster. Well, thank you so much for your insights. It's Thank you for entertaining my my questions. Um, I don't have anyone in my house that I can ask these questions to. I've got, you know, little kids and my husband's a software developer. So it's always great to turn to this podcast and invite such great experts like you on the show. I appreciate your time and uh, your your insights. Of course, I'm always happy to talk. Thanks so much to Professor Jesse Rothstein for joining us. If you'd like to read the full article where I interview him and a few other experts on the job market, please check out my latest for CNET called Why is the Job Market Strong? And more employment questions we can't help but wonder. That link in our show notes. Stay tuned for Friday's episode of Ask Farnoosh. Not too late to send me your questions. You can email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. You can direct message me on Instagram. You can tweet me at Farnoosh. I look forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money.